Baby girl, you're flawless She says she can take all this rawness No title, don't know what to call this I'm honest, I can't promise We gon' go beyond this But girl, you gon' get it regardless You're flawless She says she can take all this rawness No title, don't know what to call this I'm honest, I can't promise We gon' go beyond this Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am 24. This is my podcast, 24's podcast. Late Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, late Friday night. It's 1.30 in the morning. Goodness gracious, I have been knee-deep in Invincible over the last like three four hours i've been just trying to get through this thousand page compendium because it's awesome oh my god it's so awesome got a lot of things to talk about here today please pause my really headlining the event will be formula one in a couple of hours they'll go racing semi Final free practice of the weekend, as well as the qualifying session, I think is like, like 10, 11, something like that. I don't know when it is, actually. Maybe 9? I don't know. All that's going to be in kind of a couple of hours. A lot of things happen from the Monaco Grand Prix, which is actually a surprise. There's been some movement when it comes to Russell Wilson and how Russell Wilson essentially denied being traded by or traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, which would have obviously put him in a great position. Maybe not, because the Eagles probably wouldn't have been able to have gotten A.J. Brown. We'll see. Among other things, I mean, it worked out for really both of them. The Eagles got a bunch of draft capital. And they wouldn't, or more specifically, they wouldn't have to give up a bunch of draft capital. And Russell Wilson kind of gets Sean Payton among other players. I don't think, not players, but personnel. I don't think either person would have been in a better situation if Russell Wilson went to the Eagles. But we'll talk about it, ladies and gentlemen, right here. 24th podcast. Yeah, She says she can take all this rawness No title, don't know what to call this I'm honest, I can't promise We gon' go beyond this But girl, you gon' get it regardless You're flawless Flawless by Logic off of the mixtape Bobby Tarantino 3 I mean, it's a great song. It really is a great song. I was thinking about getting Bobby Tarantino on vinyl like over the last couple of days, and it's just, it has so many great hits on it. Flawless. Uh, God Might Judge You. Or something like that. I forgot what the song title was. Among others. And then I was just like, there's just too many... It's a very disjointed mixtape in the sense of it's just like there's a lot of parts that I do like on it. And there's other parts where I'm just like, dude, what the fuck is going on here? And so I, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to pull the trigger. I was thinking about going on to Apple or I, not iTunes, going on to eBay because I'm a nerd and I... I download my music. I know. I, I don't use Spotify or Apple Music. Or, I mean, technically I use Apple Music, but I kind of use it like it's iTunes. I just use it to, like, download music and stuff like that. But, and, and the reason why, I don't know why. I mean, it's not as convenient for sure as, like, Spotify, but whatever. 
But uh, I was thinking about getting an iPod. I've been thinking about getting a new iPod for a new old, uh, like a new used iPod. You want to know the fucking issue with Apple? Apple, like, just makes all their shit disappear. Like a magician. They make all their shit just disappear. I know they have stock somewhere in China uh, in, in, of iPods, and they just, they made everything disappear. I can't find any of this stuff. Can you find an old-ass iPhone from, I, from Apple? Are they selling them? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. I can't find any of their shit anywhere. And I'm on eBay, and I'm, like, looking up these classic, these iPod classics, right? They're... These, like, 7th generation iPod classics, they look cool. I love the way that they look essentially like a Walkman a little bit in some ways. I love it. And I was thinking about pulling the trigger on it. I was like, maybe I'll buy one, you know. And then I learned that these motherfuckers don't have Bluetooth. They don't have fucking Bluetooth on these things. If you don't know what the iPod classic, it's like this old retro iPod, but they made like they made them new, so they're like old technology, but with a new twist or with modern flair, I guess, with it. And it's just like I was so I was like I was like, does it have Bluetooth? Does it have Bluetooth? Because if it does have Bluetooth, I'm sold. There's ones with like 160 gigabytes in them, and I'm like, boom, there we go. I'm I'm sold. And then I just asked the obvious question. I'm like, do they have Bluetooth? And they're like, fuck no, we don't have Bluetooth. Then I have to buy essentially an iPod Touch that looks like an iPhone. It's like, at that point, I may just as well just get another cheap iPhone. It's, but I like the iPod Touch. Like, I have to have some weird shit. I have this, like, weird Bluetooth adapter to it, it's ridiculous. Oh my god. <sighs> Before I got onto the podcast, I... Uh, oh my god. I... I fucking... Wait a second. Hold on. like as soon as I typed in because I typed in Bluetooth on how can you put like Bluetooth on your iPod classic and it's just like yes people are like yeah dude it's like do people mod this shit I don't know okay okay this motherfucker is like modding his fucking iPod touch classic he's like yeah i mean he's soldering shit on it i was like i thought this is just gonna be a basic fucking a basic fucking switch and it's just like nope God. i'm not <laughs> i'm not doing that shit sorry anyways i went to go see the new really really awesome Spider-Man movie today. Oh my god, it was so awesome. I just I fucking love it. The new the new Spider-Man is just I had all of these soliloquies that I had planned out for it, but as the night has gone on and as my exhaustion has worn on and on, I don't have as many beautiful soliloquies as I once did. But oh my god, the movie today was was just awesome. It's just so awesome. There's so many great moments if I can talk about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I'm, I'm probably going to see it again tomorrow. I hate going to see movies in theaters. I hate it so much. I, like, I, I hate the process of it. I hate the snacks. I had, I think, food poisoning or some form of it today. I was, I, like, I don't know if it was cookies that I made yesterday... I made like two batches of pecan brittle and oatmeal cookies with like eggs that were like a couple of days too old. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's where I got it from, but I had food poisoning after it. Or I potentially got it from fucking the popcorn, from the popcorn that I got from the movie theater. 
because I always get sick after I eat the popcorn. I don't really know. I'll bake some cookies and I'll figure it out. You're not really supposed to eat cookie dough because of salmonella poisoning, but I'm pretty sure I got it from there, but I don't know. We'll see. But I was watching the fucking movie, and when it fucking ended, I was... I was floored with how awesome it was. Like a gigantic nerd, I was in the movie theater wearing my Spider-Man t-shirt. Of course. Of course I was. Wearing my Spider-Man t-shirt, enjoying all the goodness that the movie had to offer. So many awesome, huge moments. It was so similar to the first movie in the sense of there were just awesome, awesome, awesome moments in the, in the film. In the sense of, with the first movie, right? There were huge moments that just made the, uh, made the entire movie. Miles getting his, his powers and kind of rebelling. It, it kind of... It wasn't just Miles getting his powers that was kind of one of the first movies. It was Miles really not being able to fit in with his new school. And then he kind of hangs out with his uncle and then gets his powers. And then he sees Peter Parker dies. And then he he feels obviously responsible for the death of Peter Parker in his own universe. And he kind of is. And he's like, I couldn't save him. And then a lot more stuff happens. The mentoring that he tries, that he has with Peter, as well as Gwen kind of comes in and tries to help out. And then the death of his uncle. And then he fights Kingpin. And then he wins against Kingpin. There were so many great moments in the original Into the Spider-Verse film. And then in this new film, obviously I'm not going to try to have spoilers, but sometimes I have a slip of the tongue. But in the new Into the Spider-Verse film, there was just so many great moments in that film. So many awesome, so many awesome cinema, uh, cinematography as well. Like when Peter and Gwen, they, there's that shot of them, that continuous shot of them walking on, walking like upside down on, on like a bank building or something like that. And the camera like will slowly flip upside down as they do. And it's this perfect seamless transition. And somehow, some way it doesn't make me nauseous seeing like two characters standing upside down and then sitting upside down. It's very, very, very weird. And everybody is freaking out about this movie as they should. It has like a 90 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes for both the audience and the the uh, the critical score. It's it's one of the best reviewed films of the year. It's one of the best. It's two hours and 16 minutes. The reality is this movie easily could have been like 30 to 40 minutes longer and it still would have been an amazing experience. The fight scenes as well. There's so many, uh, like, like they essentially, I, I remember, this is Tears of the Kingdom, except in Spider-Man. It's like they just said, you know what? We have a great foundation. We're not going to screw it up. We're just going to do more of what, we're just going to make everything better. That's what we're going to do. Everything is just better. It's Tears of the Kingdom in movie form, except with Spider-Man. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It's such an awesome film. They freaking crushed it. There's so many great moments with so many side characters, especially with Gwen as well. Gwen and Miles' relationship. One of my favorite things in the movie that actually it like it did really, really well. It, it used so much good. It used its time really, really well. I never felt like I was sitting through with the sitting through the movie and being like, oh my God, I can't believe that this thing is happening and I want this thing. It was it used its two hour plus runtime very efficiently. There are so many different arcs happening throughout the movie. But one of my favorites was with his parents because the parents really had their moments in the film and they kind of didn't have any moments in the last film. There were some really specifically with his dad, but you see both parents kind of having their moments together with Miles because in the first movie it was, well, Miles isn't fitting in in his new school and he's really, really struggling and he doesn't really want to talk to us about his struggle, but we're here to support him, etc., etc. Now, Miles is hiding that he is Spider-Man. He is not revealing that he is Spider-Man uh, to them. And it's causing this rift 
between his parents and him, very similarly to the first movie, but for different reasons. It's a really, really awesome plot point and structure as well. And is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Miguel O'Hara or O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099, is super, super fucking awesome in it. There's so many awesome cameos for other from other Spider-Man as well, but Oscar Isaac does such a fantastic job in the film as uh, Spider-Man 2099. And all of the fight... There's so many awesome scenes and fight scenes that he's in, and he just... I mean, he, he's he's Batman. He's pretty much the Batman of the Spider-Man. And, he, I mean, he's just awesome. Miles has so many great moments, and you fucking feel for Miles. And, I like, I love how the movie is so on point and, like, so on script for themes of, like, Spider-Man. It is such a Spider-Man movie in the sense of the theme of the movie is the themes of the movies, both movies, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, the themes are Spider-Man has to has to essentially overcome fear to take on new forms of responsibility. That was what the first movie was about. Miles was very afraid of kind of taking that leap of faith that would allow him to become Spider-Man and because he never really took it because he never really took a risk, he never really became Spider-Man. And once he took that risk, that's when he became Spider-Man, that's when he was able to access his powers, the cloaking, the the uh, the Venom attack, as well as all of the base powers as well. In the second film, it is kind of coming to terms that, and it's kind of been teased in the trailer, but it's, but it's also in the first film as well, especially with the loss of his uncle. It is... The, the second theme of Spider-Man is that Spider-Man and Spider-People lose people all the time. It's foreshadowed, maybe not foreshadowed, but it's kind of like implied in the film that certain other characters have lost other things. But Miles has experienced that loss as well. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, I, like I've had this loss and they're like, well, you don't understand. There is more to lose. There's always more to lose. And every single, there's this great and powerful scene in the film that correctly illustrates just how much all of these people, all of these Spider-Men from all of these different universes have lost. There's a great scene in it. And I was, I was shocked to see just how awesome it was and how gut-wrenching it was on so many different facets, on so many different uh, layers as well. And it's kind of sparked by... Uh, Spider-Man 2099, a.k.a. Miguel O'Hara. It's sparked by him and his, kind of his attitude towards Miles, towards a certain event that happens throughout the film, and that's going to happen throughout the film and things of that nature. And the interesting thing about Miguel O'Hara, he is seen as, I mean, it's been, by the way, the advertising for the film has been awesome. They haven't given up anything yet. In regards to it, except for the fact that Spider-Man 2099 is kind of an antagonist as well as others, but they don't really showcase off just how much of an antagonist he is. But he's more like an anti-hero in the sense of like, yes, he he's an obstacle for Miles to overcome, but you can see his point, you can see his per perspective on the matter that's being debated throughout the entirety of the movie very clearly, and you're like, he's not wrong, especially in regards to certain things like and and the thing about it is it like I don't I don't want to say too much about the subject because it's it's getting really close to spoilers but there are so many great moments where there's doubt within a lot of the other Spider-Man because they're helping they're helping Miguel they're helping him stop Miles from doing something throughout the film and there's doubt throughout everybody there's doubt um, and all of the other people, and they're like, we get what Miles is trying to do, but we can't really take the risk, but at the exact same time, we're Spider-Men or Spider-People, I guess is the term that they use. They're like, we get that, we get it. We get that he's, that what he's trying to do, but we also can't take the risk of what he's trying to do as well. Gwen 
I mean, this is probably the best on-screen Gwen Stacy ever. This is probably the best Miles Morales ever. I mean, a lot of people are calling it the best Spider-Man movie ever. Look, the only other movie that I that I saw in theaters multiple times, it wasn't Guardians of the Galaxy, even though it came really close, to be honest with you. It was the Batman last year. I saw it like three or four times in theaters, and I fucking hate going to movie theaters. But I saw it like three or four times in theaters. It's a three-hour-long movie. And I was so stoked to watch it. I, I love that film. And it's like with this film, I'm so stoked to see it again. I'm so stoked to see the beginning because I was late. I got a collectible 10 for the movie, and it's awesome. But I got a collectible 10, and I was waiting in line for just to buy some snacks and stuff like that. I, I snuck a burger in my pockets because I'm like, I'm not eating popcorn. I even asked the lady because I'm like, I'm not about to eat all this fucking popcorn. It's gross. I just want a little bit, but I want it to like pair it with my burger. And I also want to drink. And I'm like, just quarter, give me a quarter of it. And she didn't listen. And she just filled it to the max, put a shit ton of butter into this fucking tin. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, too much. But I was late. I was late for the film. I think I was going to... Like, I think I, I thought that it started at, like, 11.25. That's what Google said. It started at 11. And so I got there by, like, 11, 13, 14, something like that. And I was like, cool, I got, like, 10 minutes left. And then it was just like, no. Uh, the movie started 10 minutes ago. Good luck, sucker. Movie was awesome. Movie was great. Gwen had her moments. Gwen had so many awesome moments in the film. And the movie ends with kind of the completion of her, of her story arc and her character arc. And it's great and it's awesome, but it kind of leaves this gigantic cliffhanger for Miles and kind of where Miles is as a character. And I, like, I, I loved it. And I was so worried and so sad at the end of the movie because I was like, we're going to have to wait two to three years for the next movie to come out and it's like no it's coming out next year in March so we're less than a year away from the new Spider-Man movie which I cannot wait for it was I mean I may I may be satisfied by seeing this movie three times in theaters I'll try and see it again two more times it's, it's unbelievably good unbelievably good unbelievably powerful they absolutely crushed it they nailed it I don't think I have anything more to say Unless I want to hit on spoilers. Man, oh man, is it such an awesome film. The only thing that kind of sucked about it was the soundtrack. The soundtrack sucked. I was listening to a lot of it. A lot of people were congratulating Metro Broomin for his soundtrack. I'd listened to the tracks on it, and I was like, why? Why are people talking about it? I didn't play the intro or the song that plays at the end with, like, Swally. Let me play a little bit of it. I think at times it's a good song, but damn, they have Nav in it and Boogie with the Hoodie and I mean, it's it's all right in some areas, but I mean, it's not Sunflower. And I was watching the movie and there was this one point of the film that was very similar to when Miles goes over to his uncle's house and his uncle turns on the stereo and he drops the needle because he has a turntable and he's listening to Biggie Smalls' Juicy, a notorious Brooklyn anthem. Because Miles is from Brooklyn, obviously, and they live in Brooklyn. It's, it's a nice head nod to one of the goats. And so he bought, he's bumping Biggie. And it's this iconic scene throughout the film. But and. And the music supervisor for the film understands how, how to use music properly. They use certain tracks for the old movie like Swally and Post Malone's Swaley Swally. I don't know how to say his first name. Swaley Swally's Sunflower, What's Up Danger When Miles is Web Swinging. They know how to use tracks. They know how to use music. They know how to mash up songs as well to combine it with the score as well. They know how to make awesome music. And they only use like this song and one other song at the beginning. And it felt like the promo musically wise for the last movie was, I don't want to say better, but it was more, 
It was more like... It was more. It was just like they had more advertisements with Miles running around with the song. It was kind of like an anthem for the movie before the movie even came out. And so people were already bumping that shit before the movie came out. And it was such a great fit for the movie, especially with the trailer that it was that it was accompanied with as well. It was a great song. It was a great theme for the movie, this kind of low-key kind of like somber song and um it, it was just it fit very very well this song calling fits well as well but not as great and i feel like the people that made the movie kind of know what they have with their music and they're like we don't really have a lot to work with but we're going to try to work with what we have because it's like we don't really have anything else so that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to work with what we got and we're uh we're going to move on. But here's a little bit of calling. Uh Metro Boomin made the track, Swally, Boogie with the Hoodie and Nav are all on it. Let's listen in. Give it a spin. Say if you Ooh, yo, I give my all. Oh, sorry. Hey. The melody is what you're here for. You're not really here for Nav. Nav drops some, like, he drops some good bars, but Nav rapping is, like, meh. But, again, a little bit more of the melody. Let me rewind it. Metro, it's probably Metro Boomin's best track on the soundtrack because the soundtrack is pretty lackluster and I'll go more into it today, which is technically tomorrow, but it's late. I'll go into it today. Um, the production on it is really, really, is really, really good in regards to the instrumental. There are some tracks that sound very, very similar that have very, very similar beats Beats in the sense of like musical beats. Uh, I think they wanted kind of these, these like weird kind of synthesized pianos. I don't know what they're called with some sense as well. They wanted Metro Boomin, I guess, was like, I don't know if he was directed into making this album sound this way or if he just did it off the top of his head. Like none of the songs are, are like action sequency songs. Like none of them are these up tempo songs as well. They're very, very slow. Very, very methodical, and most of them are kind of meh, and I'm kind of just looking at the album from the perspective of it's for a Spider-Man film, and like most of the songs don't really relate to fucking Spider-Man. It's like you have all of these people that have like never watched anything related to Spider-Man talking about Spider-Man. You want to know the only, let me play you a little bit of the Nas track. The Nas track is like the only track that actually makes some sense. But even then, he's like on and off. And Nas is like from New York. I think he's actually from Brooklyn. And I, I, I think he is. He, he says it all the time, I think, in his music. And it's like the only track that makes sense. And it's easily the best lyrical song on the album, on the soundtrack, and, it, like, he's one of the only artists that actually tries to marry Spider-Man with this album. Like, the, uh, the movie with this album. But beyond this song, there really isn't a lot of, hey, 
we're rapping or singing or doing whatever for a Spider-Man movie. But here's a little bit of it. Shoot a web, gliding through the sky, through the air, dancing through the builders, Fred Astaire, bunch of skyscrapers everywhere. I'm just flexing my ability, sick and tired of humility. Can't believe that they would hate on me for being me. I face a penalty. They expect so much from me, it sucks for me. Lucky me, I'm just flying through the sky, sucker free. I'm just up above the city streets, climbing walls at a different speed. Miles Morales, miles per hours. Take a dive, surf the towers. Late at night, scary hours. Superpowers, appreciate the flowers. Shoot a web, gliding through the sky, through the air. Dancing through the builders, Fred Astaire. Bunch of skyscrapers everywhere. Nobody looks up no more, so it's easy to slide through. They can't tell if the sky's blue. True, nobody looks up no more. I'm confused why they choose not to see it the way I do. I move with my mind different. Nonsense is not sticking. Rhymes hitting knowledge, wisdom, nods different. Spidey sis is tingling. Swinging from New England out to England. Flips and somersaults like the brothers from Ringling. Jump from a hundred feet and land on my feet. Yeah. Tim's and make this life a complete, a sight to see. New Yorkin', too often, fools rushing, we walkin', I'm done talking. Nobody looks up no more. Nobody looks up no more. And that's the end of the track, for the most part. Like it it has some like synth waves and things of that nature, but like just when Nas is getting started, he ends it, you know? kind of sucks because it's easily the best song on the album and it's pretty much only one minute and 30 seconds where it's like the actual stuff but i mean nas had some really really nice bars that were that were related to the movie the movie didn't use this song it's like i don't know how they could use it i guess i mean there could have been some there there was one part where i feel like it probably could have been really really well utilized it's when it's raining and it's at the end of the movie it's when it's raining and he's running and stuff like that i felt like it could have been a great sequence but i i'm, I'm not mad that they didn't use it but there were so many other songs that had that slow kind of tempo with the beat that wasn't really upbeat it wasn't really fast it wasn't really punchy you know it was just kind of slow and laid back and um, there's way more moments in the movie where it's like it's fast, it's punchy, it's go, 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 go. There is some type of, uh, there is, some, there is some, some important thing going on and we need you to act fast. And the music reflects that. But the music here on the album doesn't reflect that, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But again, most artists are like, Eh, we won't really try to marry the concept of Spider-Man with some of these beats. And it kind of fucking sucks because it, they really should. Because it kind of sucks listening. I've been talking about Spider-Man for 33 minutes. Whoops. I just realized, I was like, wait, I, I'm like, how long have I... It, <laughs> Dude, I could go on and on and on about this movie, but, oh man, it's just such a good movie. So good. So good. I was like, do I want to keep talking or do I, about Spider-Man? It's like, yes, I do. I do. It's just, <sighs> I can't wait for the next one. Cannot wait for the next one. It's just, it's just too good. BBC gave it a 3 out of 5. Ugh. BBC has no taste. I love how the um I, I clicked on the link for the article and it's BBC culture. And I'm like, well, you know nothing about the culture, I guess. Ugh. God. What a disaster. What a disgrace. Get out of my face. I give you a 3 out of 10, or 3 out of 5. Your review sucks. 
Oh my god. Cannot wait for the next one. Cannot wait for for um for just the next movie. Anyways. I mean, how do I how do I transition to talking about Formula 1? I don't know. I'll give it a shot. So, kind of transitioning from Spider-Man into Formula 1, not into the Spider-Verse. Formula 1 had a huge weekend this weekend where, once again, Monaco, essentially where you start is where you ended up. Max Verstappen, from Max Verstappen, from Fernando Alonso, from Esteban Ocon were your three podium winners. Uh, It was where they started, first, second, and third place respectively, and then they ended first, second, and third place respectively in that order. But it was such an interesting race. It started to pour on rain. Drivers and cars and teams had to come in, switch out their tires. Mercedes was able to make a couple of places up. It was actually a pretty interesting race at the end as well to see kind of some of the uh, the things change. Towards the end of the race, it was just because of the rain and maybe some, uh, you know, some, some upsets would have happened. But no, Max was still dominant. Red Bull was still dominant. It, it was more of the same. But it was still super entertaining and fun, especially during qualifying. Lewis Hamilton... I guess had had some of his track times deleted or something like that during qualifying. So he was on the edge of being out in round one and round two of qualifying, which would have been a disaster for Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton puts it in fucking clutch. He pulls it out. He makes it into the third qualifying session, and he doesn't get anywhere close to pole, but I think he was like fifth or sixth. But because Charles uh, Charles Leclerc had some type of a penalty against Lando Norris, he goes back down to sixth. Lewis Hamilton goes to fifth. George Russell did a serviceable job as well with the Mercedes. Another interesting kind of thing that happened with the Mercedes, something that you really never see Lewis Hamilton do, is he crashed his Mercedes. So because Monaco is in the principality of Monaco, a city-state that rests essentially in France, they had to, like, and because of the narrowness of the streets, they had to, instead of like rolling his car off the streets, they had to use a crane to pick up the car and then put it someplace else. So when the car got picked up, everyone was able to see the underbelly of the Mercedes. They were able to see the floor. Now, why is the floor so important for Mercedes? Why is that so important? Well, the floor of any of these cars in Formula One, specifically now, is super important. And the reason why that is, is because of ground effect. It's like the physical effect of these cars that essentially allows them to get sucked into the ground, that allows them to go faster through the corners because they have more downforce. They're being pressed into the ground that gives them more traction going through these turns so they can theoretically go faster through these turns. And so when Mercedes' car got lifted up off the ground during the third practice session on, I think, Saturday, Lewis Hamilton's car gets exposed. Everyone knows what Mercedes is running on the bottom of their car. Disaster. If Mercedes had a good car. They don't have a good car, so nobody really cared. Until Sergio Perez of Red Bull had his floor exposed because he crashes in the first qualifying session, and because he crashes in the first qualifying session, everybody has their cameras up, taking 4K freaking pictures of the floor of his Red Bull 19, because he is now sitting in the most dominant race car on the grid, in the Red Bull, and the way that his racing engineer was looking at the screen. I mean, he looked like he had the runs. Christian Horner was looking about as pissed as Gordon Ramsay looks whenever he is served or given raw chicken by somebody in Hell's Kitchen. I mean, it was, you would have thought that he had freaking defiled something dear to Christian Horner's heart the way that he, Christian Horner was looking at that monitor. He was disgusted with Sergio Perez on Saturday. 
but all to the chagrin of every single race car fan for Formula One on Saturday because they were all, like me, hoping that some of the teams would just steal the design that Red Bull is, is utilizing for their floors. And they should because, oh my God, every single team is gooberly behind Red Bull. Please, dear God, steal their designs because every single one of you teams comparatively to Red Bull sucks. And every single one of you is like literally uncompetitive. Please steal their designs. It's it's bad to watch you guys go out and race and you guys aren't even anywhere close to Red Bull. Thank you very much. This weekend, though, more upgrades are being brought in by Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. I think even Aston Martin has brought some upgrades I'm not really sure how the upgrades are going to impact the teams. We will see what happens next here in qualifying here in a couple of hours. Ferrari's Red Bulls, not Red Bulls, Jesus Christ. Ferrari's upgrade package has essentially changed the side pods into something that is a lot more standard with every single essentially race car or top tier race car. Everybody's essentially copying Red Bull in some way, shape or another. Every single person is like, look, guys. Okay, sorry about that. Let me um I'm looking on Reddit at this fake $100 bill. It's it's insanely fake and bad, but what regardless, sorry. But anyways, Ferrari has changed out their side pod like everybody else and they had this kind of circular roundish side pod and it's more straight. It's the Red Bull design. Everybody's copying the Red Bull design of the side pod. Everybody is, to some way, shape, or form. Ferrari has ditched their side pod design, and they've kind of gone for, for essentially a Red Bull design. Mercedes did the exact same thing about a week ago with their side pod design. Everybody is just trying to figure out how they can get closer and closer and closer to Red Bull. And I don't know if any of this will help in the long run because nobody still is able to catch Red Bull. Nobody still has figured out how Red Bull is able to get so much speed with DRS. Nobody's been able to figure that out yet. But the fact that Ferrari and Mercedes within a week, within the last two weeks really, have changed out their side pod designs has kind of shown the futility of having a unique side pod design um, in the paddock. Or more specifically, a side pod design that isn't in line with Red Bull. Lance Stroll in Monaco was driving like an absolute jackass. It was so terrible to watch him drive. And he's he is Lance Stroll, the other Aston Martin driver, has really been kind of the lowlights of the season for that racing team he's been kind of the embarrassment nobody really wants to talk about and he has been embarrassing it's been a rough go of it for Lance Stroll and Lance has been a a huge di disappointment excuse me for Red Bull there's really no way else to slice it or not Red Bull excuse me Aston Martin uh, his father I think has major capital and stakes in the team he I think he pretty much owns it if not he does own it and so Lance kind of gets to be on this team this Formula One team and he is with a superior race car he has had inferior results and last weekend his race essentially got ruined early on and he just started to drive like a jackass bumping into people bumping it into the barriers and the railings sometimes most of the time with when it came to the railings unintentionally, but I mean, he just drove terribly last weekend. It was one of the worst drives I have seen in a really long time. I mean, ever for me, because I've only been watching Formula One one year, but it's like, I've never seen somebody so hopeless in a race car as I saw Lance Stroll last, last week. He couldn't do anything. I mean, it was just a bad race. And I mean, for me, and I've said this before, and I'll say this again, Mercedes does not have a better car than than uh, than Aston Martin, and Mercedes's drivers have been consistently able to compete with Aston Martin both in qualifying and in racing, especially in racing. And for both Lewis and 
George to be able to out-qualify Lance. And then, I mean, it doesn't matter. As long as I think the Mercedes would have finished in front of Lance, I get it, it's Monaco, but, like, Mercedes with Rhett, with Lewis and George with a new design on their car was able to out-qualify Lance and they both had better drives and better races than Lance. I mean, it's just... It's ridiculous how bad of a drive he had. Ridiculous. I'm a bit shocked that nobody's talking about just how shitty of a job he did. I really am. It's it's fucking terrible. It really is how bad he did, but it is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. With Lance Stroll, just a absolute abomination of a driver. Absolute abomination. Last Sunday. Hopefully he can have a better race, but I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not holding my breath on that shit. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not I'll hold my breath at all that he'll have a good drive, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like anything else that I want to say about Formula One? Yeah, another race this weekend, and then I think we're on a two-week hiatus, and we'll kind of have... A, wake, a, a race essentially every two weeks instead of every week like we've had it for the last three weeks, which kind of sucks, but it's, you know, it's it, it's what happens at this point in the season where it's just like the more we get to, uh, the closer we get to the fall, the more kind of like bi-weekly we'll have a race and things of that nature. But the Spanish, Spanish, Spanish Grand, Prix, Grand Prix is up next. They removed a part of the chicane in the race. Max will win it once again because it's another high-speed race. Sorry. I just had to drink some water. But Max will win this race again. Another high-speed race uh, benefits the Red Bull. Certainly doesn't benefit Mercedes. It also benefits Aston Martin. They seem to have a really, really fast car this year as well. And they removed one of the final chicanes, I guess, in the race. So now, essentially, you just have two, two turns instead of just a final chicane on the penultimate uh, corner, I guess. Or on the penultimate turn, I, I, I don't know. I'm iffy on the terms. But high-speed race. Long, long, long straight, and Max will just, Max will be lapping people today. And potentially Sergio Perez, because Sergio is, once again, still in the Red Bull, but he's obviously the inferior driver. And Max has been dominating this past weekend. I mean, it's it has not been close at all between the Red Bulls, specifically of Max or Stappen versus, like, everyone else. So... Get ready for more Max, 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 Super Max, Max, Super, Super Max, Max. Sorry. Finally, we'll talk about Russell Wilson and this report of him not wanting to go to Philly. Look, a lot of Philadelphia Eagle fans are like, haha, you could have won a bunch of games with us and you could have been a great football player with us. And it's just like, pause. If Russell Wilson had gone to Philly, it would have been bad for both of them, for Philly and for Russ. It would have been bad for Philly because Philly would not have been able to have gotten all this draft capital. They would not have been able to have drafted Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, who the book is out on Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter yet, but it looks like Jordan Davis may not necessarily be anywhere close to like the top 10 at his position. But we'll see what happens. In that regard, but especially and specifically, right? The Eagles wouldn't have been able to have gotten A.J. Brown. I mean, unless they would have traded away both of their first round. Unless they would have traded away their first round draft pick and to get them like they did last year. They wouldn't have been able to have traded for A.J. Brown. They would have, I don't know what would have happened. Probably don't get Jalen Carter this year. Probably don't do a whole lot of different stuff. I'm not really sure how the cookie would have crumbled there. But I know that they wouldn't have been the exact same team. And who knows the status that Russell West, not Russell Westbrook is in, but Russell Wilson is in 
maybe he comes in and it's awesome for you. Maybe he's the exact same guy that he once was uh, last year. And then for Russell's part, it's like you may not necessarily have had, once again, A.J. Brown because of the trade that um, that the Eagles would have executed to get you because not only did they trade for A.J. Brown, but they also signed him to a multi-million dollar extension. And so it's it's like you would have had to pay for Russ and A.J. And look, they're already paying for Jalen Hurts, so it's not like they don't pay people or more specifically a quarterback. But the fact remains is that there wouldn't have been as much money to throw around at certain issues, at certain problems. So for Russ, like, I get it. A lot of people are clowning on Russ because Russell Wilson has a no-trade clause in his contract. Because he has a no-trade clause in his contract, he essentially gets to choose where he wants to go, and he chose, or chose, he chose, excuse me, the Broncos. So I get all that, but man, oh man, is uh, it worked out for both teams, right? It worked out for Russ in the sense of he gets to play with Sean Payton and Jerry Judy and all those other guys, but... At the exact same time with the Eagles, it's like, hey, congratulations. You got all the, you got your guy. You got your guy. Or technically your guys, I guess. I don't know. I'm a little bit exhausted. I'm watching Emmanuel Forbes, the new Washington cornerback, just get absolutely destroyed by Terry McLaurin and I'm like oh my god if you don't know who Emmanuel Forbes is Emmanuel Forbes really really fun cornerback out of Mississippi State kind of a thin frame I mean he just lets Terry McLaurin just run by him like to explain to you what essentially happens on this play Terry McLaurin is trying to run on the inside and Emmanuel Forbes just lets him run on the inside. Like he just, he's defending the outside. I don't know what coverage they're in. The camera shot is a little bit tight, so I can't really see what's going around them. But essentially he just lets Terry McLaurin run on the inside and Terry, Terry is essentially running like a dig. And so he's just gone. He's just gone immediately. He doesn't even hand check him either. Like Terry tries to hand fight him and he just fights with air because Emmanuel Forbes doesn't use his hands. I mean, it's one play, but it's it's a yikes. It's a yikes. But I don't know. I'm tired. Oh yeah, I for, I completely forgot to talk about Shannon Sharp. Kind of versus Skip Bayless here. Shannon Sharp, in my opinion, is one of the most. I feel like he's kind of the face of Fox Sports right now. Um, I know Fox kind of wants to try and make Skip Bayless or Colin Cowherd or someone from Speak for Yourself it, but really, I feel like Undisputed is going to go down the crapper if Shannon isn't there. Shannon has now bought out of his contract with Fox Sports. He'll probably be gone after the NBA Finals. Look, when talent, on-air talent, these broadcasters, when they go independent which essentially just means that they go and they do their own thing when they go independent it's usually a bad thing they usually don't really have like a lot of uh they they usually don't have a great personality to go independent and go you know do their own thing and things of that nature and or they kind of like misjudge the market and they essentially will like have this I'll, they'll have this like YouTube channel or something like that 
and they'll kind of do their own thing on their YouTube channel, but it's essentially more or less what they do on TV, and, and what they do on TV isn't very interesting. What Shannon Sharp does with Club Shay Shay, where he will have on, like, actual celebrities, where he'll talk to people, and he'll have these interesting conversations for over an hour, what he does there is actually unique, it's actually valuable, he has like over a million subscribers. The podcast has like won awards and things of that nature. It's actually something that he can he can utilize. He can get and he can he can like uh, maybe not utilize is the best way to describe it, but it's something that he can definitely like lean back on and fall back on. I remember seeing Christine Leahy, who was Colin Cowherd's. Uh, he, she was Colin Cowherd's kind of like partner when it comes to his show and she would do um the news with the herd or, or forgot I, for, I forgot what it was and she got her own tv show on fox sports one that would air essentially in the uh the late block and it was essentially her just interviewing people and having these kind of like really boring bland benign interviews that were kind of irrelevant and I was like I don't like this this is the show that she pitched and it didn't do well at all and it's like whatever Shannon is gonna do next I think is going to be really really awesome it looks like Fox Sports is kind of pivoting with Nick Wright kind of being one of their big players and I think that's correct because I think he's really smart and I think he's really really good at his job but Shannon leaving and going someplace else and not and skip not having somebody else to debate with is very very bad and if you haven't noticed skip has kind of run out a lot of people he ran out jenny taft about a year ago year plus ago but jenny ironically it's it's weird how like the relationship you'll see with some of these people is right like shannon has always been cool with a lot of people He's been cool with Jenny Taft, loves Jenny. I love Jenny Taft. I think she's a fun broadcaster to be around, especially when you pair her with some really, really good personalities like Shannon. I think she was great with Shannon. I felt like with Shannon, she was easily the best mediator for Undisputed. I don't really think the job is that difficult. I don't think it's that hard. I think anytime you can get anything from the mediator, I think is great. But Jenny Taft was had a lot of rapport with Shannon and it was so fun to see her have fun on the show with Shannon but at the exact same time she did not have a lot of rapport and she kind of didn't like Skip and that was very obvious on the show but they're not going to kick kick Skip off the show and so she's already doing sideline reporting for college football and doing the show so it's a lot it's a lot. She's working like six days out of the week, probably waking up at like four o'clock in the morning or some ridiculous shit like that to go do a show. Like it's insane. Or even earlier because they're on the West Coast. So, I mean, she would probably have to be up at like two, three o'clock in the morning. Like insane. Some of the shit that she would have to do. And then she would have to do college football. So I get that her schedule, like she would have, she would have to commit to either one. And she's like, I'm not fucking with Skip. And then Joy Taylor went and did essentially Colin Cowherd's show for a couple of years. And then she's gone now to do her thing. But I think the split with Colin was amicable in the sense of she didn't want to do first take anymore. Or undis I keep getting the shows confused, undisputed. But I think Skip has kind of run a lot of people out, including now Shannon Sharp. A lot of people are like, Shannon is going to go to first take. I don't know where Shannon is going to go. I think Shannon could potentially just build his brand and really double and quadruple down on his brand. I don't know what Shannon is going to do next, but if he quadruples down on his brand, I think his brand, I, I think he could essentially have something similar to Pat McAfee's show in the sense of he'll just, maybe not necessarily where he's doing like radio, I guess, for three hours, but something in the sense of, He's just essentially producing his own content for X amount of time and he's doing it for himself and really nobody is telling him what he needs to do. I don't know why he would want to do first take when nobody really likes 
Stephen A, but people tolerate him. I don't know. Weird shit going on with Stephen A as well. Where he's talking about breast milk and all this other weird stuff. It's just... It's so weird. But yeah. Shannon leaving is a huge loss. I don't know where he's going to go. We'll see what happens. We'll talk about the new... We'll talk about a lot of music from Lotto and Cardi B to Taylor Swift potentially to the new Spider-Man soundtrack. I'm tired. This has been 24. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm tired. <laughs>